Ben Moore has been in love with bees for as long as anyone can remember. And as far as we can tell, the feeling is entirely mutual. Although he still sometimes feels the sting of his passion. Hang around, learn a little. It's as sweet as honey and always a buzz. It's the Ultimate Pollinators Podcast with Ben, his friends and associates, and of course, Ben's Bees. Hey everyone, Bees with Ben. Got an awesome episode on this week. It was really, really cool. Uh, we're t- bees in the tropics. We're going to be talking to Mori. Now, Mori's a seasoned beekeeper. Um, been keeping bees for decades and really interesting. Uh, keeping bees in uh, tropical far north Queensland. So some really interesting points. So I hope you like this podcast. Um, the first question I asked him is, what was his first experience uh, when it comes to bees? Back when I was an um, ankle biter, probably, uh, uh, it be back in when I was probably about a dozen or so years old. Um, and uh, we had a, Block out at uh, Wondowan, so I just had the block out at Wondowan, southern Queensland. And um, there was a, uh, a big box tree that came down, and inside that was a um, a um, hive of uh, native bees. Oh, okay. And uh, stuck my finger in and tasted it, and uh, I could still taste that honey in my mouth about a week later. Okay. It's quite incredible. Yeah, very intense flavour. Oh, that's fantastic. And, and so you, you're a Queenslander, true and true, Murray? Of course, of course. Is there anything else? I've heard there's some Mexican south of the Cardboard uh, Range. Yes, I, I did do that Mexican thing, went from Victoria, lived in Noosa for, for a few years. That's uh, kind of funny. It's obviously now you're dealing with some uh, amazing weather up there. So... Um, Talk us through because a lot of people have actually asked a question. You know, I mean, keeping bees in the tropics. So we're gonna we're gonna well talk about starting that. right from the starting right from the basics at ground level. Yes, you've got to put your hives on um, on stands up here because uh, two things. Main one is toads. If you leave them on the ground, the toad just walks up to the entrance, taps on the entrance with his um, nose, and the bee comes out to see what's going on. And the tongue comes out and goes slurp, and there goes another bee. So you put them up on stands at around 400 mils off the ground. If you don't, um, the toads will get to them. Even so, they'll, they'll still try and get to them, and I'll explain that in a minute. The other reason is um, because of the um, heavy dew we have up here occasionally. Um, you know, you have 100, 150 mils of rain overnight, <laughs> yes, yeah. and uh, the, the water will come up. If you've got them on a stand, well, uh, you've got a reasonable chance of it uh, flying past and you just have to clean the debris off the stand afterwards. But uh, if you have them on the ground, well, you'll have a lot of problems, particularly in the orchards up in this country. But with those toads, as I mentioned before, um, even up on stands, they'll still try and get to them. Um, And what they'll do is they'll get a whole bunch of their mates together, and they'll form a pyramid. And the following top of the pyramid will be up at the level of the... um, the entrance to the hive, and he will go through his routine of tapping on the entrance, and uh, when the bee comes out, slurp. And then when he's absolutely stuffed and full, he'll drop off the top onto the ground and then burrow underneath the pile of toads to help lift the next ones up to have their feed. 
Wow. So that's uh, something something you probably don't get very much of down in Victoria, but we can send you some. We can send you some down so that you can um, try them out if you like. Well, the good the good news, hopefully, to the winter would knock them out. But so and and so, Murray. Now, people, the listeners, are going to ask the question. You know, bees obviously sting. Is there any impact on the bees sting in the toads, or is it just? No, they just swallow them whole. Um, and um, the other, there is one benefit of the toads, which um, wasn't that obvious until recently, uh, just that they brought them in probably 80, 100 years too early. Uh, but nowadays with our problems with uh, small hive beetle, when the larvae crawls out of the hive to uh, uh, go into the ground to um, pupate, the toads are there quite happily waiting for them and uh, slurp them up as well. Okay, so we've almost got like a bit of a symbiosis between natural, the, yeah, a natural, natural, yeah. A natural predator. Natural predator. It's like yeah. It's like it's like the um, the wax moth that we had big problems with here back in the seventies, eighties. Uh, they they were they were the devastation in the hives in those days. Well, now there's a wasp, uh, parasitic wasp that lays its uh, larvae inside the um, the uh, wax moth grub and eats it out from the inside. Ooh. That's a horrible way to go, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I had I had a researcher from um, um, BSES, uh, Bureau of Sugar Experimental Stations, that wanted some wax moth larvae to uh, uh, use as a uh, use for his work on uh, getting rid of uh, the uh, beetles in cane, and he was going to put a pathogen in them and see how it went. Well, I couldn't give him any uh, wax moth larvae that weren't infected with uh, uh, the, these uh, parasitic wasps. Well, and, and he it, was that's incredible. And is that a native wasp to Australia, Murray? Yes, yes, okay. yes. Wow. Well, nature has its way of dealing with these things. It sometimes takes a while for it to work it out, but uh, but nature does uh, have a an answer eventually. Yeah, wow, that's that's so true. And um, obviously, we'll talk about sort of you know, keeping bees in the tropics because you know quite a few people are interested and want to hear about that. But African small hive beetle, you know, how bad is it for you? Devastating. Yeah. Okay. Devastating. No problems at all. Lose fifty percent of your hives each year. Um, you've got the high humidity and uh, high temperatures, which they love. Um, there's there's a lot of uh, ways of getting around it. Um, including putting poisons in your hive, which I'm not very enthusiastic about. Um, A lot of my uh, um, attempts to uh, keep the the small hive beetle under control is uh, putting a uh, frame cover on top of the frames and then a a disposable um, wipe on top of that. And it's got to be the blue one. Because they'll get their legs tangled up, the, the um, small hive beetle will get their legs tangled up in it, and uh, they can't move, so they basically starve to death. Um, I have seen chucks cloths uh, absolutely covered in in these small hive beetles, just totally covered. They're, 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 it's just incredible how many hundreds they'll uh, they'll kill. But the other thing that you can use is um, uh, open bottom boards. Um, most of my hives now are a, um, a frame, the same size as the, uh, the box, uh, and a mesh um, base uh, with a riser on top of the mesh. 
so that uh, what happens is um, the small hive beetle doesn't like light. So the, the light coming in from the uh, from the open base, uh, particularly when you've got it up on a stand, there's a lot of light coming in. Um, they're not very enthusiastic about those hives. But the mesh that you use, got to be stainless steel, otherwise it won't last long, um, can't be any bigger than um, one-eighth or three mils. Any bigger than that, um, your bees can get in and out. Okay. And if you've got a weak hive, the, uh, they can be robbed out. It's like many years ago, uh, they brought out a new plastic base with slots in them. Well, they were, they were about three and a half to four mil slots in them. Yeah. And I had a mate that had a heap of these bases, and the bees just kept them coming in and robbing through those slots. So you've, you've got to have them three mils or less um, mesh. Yes, okay. That's interesting. That's um, very, yeah, very interesting sort of control. I've, no, I've not heard that one, and that's why I, you know, I love what I do. Cause well, it wouldn't. Wouldn't work. Wouldn't work so much down your way because you have all your beehives on on the ground. Yes, that's right. Yeah. But when we have them on stands, um, you've got the extra light coming in, and um, the larvae just drop off into, into the grass, and the bee and the toads are waiting for them. Yeah, there you go. That's interesting. So, 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 Murray, So we're we're dealing with cane toads. Uh, we're dealing with um, African small hive small beetle. Hive beetle yeah. now, now let's talk about the weather. Now that's obviously is that probably the <laughs> the biggest uh, uh, hurdle you've got to overcome while keeping bees up in the yeah the well it, it it can be a problem anything under twenty five mils is just classed as a view up in this country until um, you get uh, you know something serious like fifty mils then that's considered rain um, quite often up here in the tropics you get a hundred hundred fifty mils of rain overnight wow boy um, next day you'll come out. And uh, most times you won't see any uh, sign of it because in the tropics the water just gets away. Uh, I don't know what you've done down south, but uh, we don't have the uh, big problems uh, of flooding like you have unless we're having serious rain, three or four, five hundred mils. That's un- that's unreal. Now, what about obviously work and bees? We'll say you know January to December, Murray. You know, what's, yep. you know, your flows and, you know, you, how do you manage your bees? Because it's fundamentally wet season and well, dry season. Yeah, but it's changed over the years too. Um, when I started out, uh, this is back in the 70s, um, you had your, your, your wet season from December, January, February. Yep. Uh, March, April, it was um, drizzle and uh, and that was about it. And um, May was a dry spell before winter. And um, at the end of May, um, you basically went into your winter time. Um, sometimes it could last a couple of weeks, three weeks. Um, most times it uh, it was just a short, sharp snap. And then um, the uh, It'd start to warm up again, and you'd be able to uh, start raising queens, sort of um, j- uh, July, early July. Okay. And then uh, you'd get your all your flowering on your trees up here. And uh, September, the uh, used to be not anymore. It used to be uh, a period when there was no wind, no rain, no nothing. The sea was as flat as a sheet of glass. The tourists would pile in here and go out the reef. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. October would warm up. November would be stinking hot and humid and absolutely um, 
revolting, and then the rains had come in early December, um, and uh, the wet season would be on you. But uh, it's all it's all changing. It's um, you, you you had no honey uh, coming in in um, May okay. um, because it was all getting ready for winter, and uh, you had nothing coming in in uh, November because of the uh, build-up of heat and humidity. But uh, the last few years, I've had uh, some, you know, decent honey flows in um, in May and uh, and November, wow. and uh, it's all moved on uh, a couple of months. Um, right now, we've just had uh, well some serious rain in Cairns and uh, some quite good rain up here in the Tablelands, um, and this is much more than we used to get. Interesting. That's um interesting. And so, and now you mentioned obviously you know breeding queen sort of July. What what sort of where that kicks off for you? What sort of temperatures? You know, I mean, we're talking you know minimum and a maximum, Murray. Oh, you. On average, the minimum in those days would be uh, probably uh, ten twelve, and your maximum would be twenty five. Okay. Yeah. And you you wouldn't open them until sixteen, of course. But um, these days it's, it's 15 um, and you still get uh, occasional, well, not 30, but you, you're late 20s anyway. Yeah, okay. Um, but um, and it, the winter seems to be not as cold and it, uh, it seems to be later. Yeah, okay. And once upon a time, um, in June, you'd get a good flowering on the... Uh, River gum, um, and uh, you'd get lots of honey. Um, but now uh, there was some um, blue gum out in flower there just a few weeks ago. Totally out of season. Interesting. That's Bloodwood Bloodwood used to be uh, March, guaranteed March. Yeah. Um, it's thinking about flowering now, but it, it's not really serious about it. Been a lot of bud, little bit of flower, but. It's so, all so, crazy. So, so what? Okay. So the the big question is, Murray, why do you think that's the case? Obviously, these changes in the in the trees flowering. Well, the, the conditions, the, the rain and the uh, the wind have uh, have come at different times to what they used to. You you <laughs> you try and go out the reef in September now. Um, you've got a pretty strong stomach because it, it it's pretty bouncy. It's not like glass like it used to be. Okay, interesting, interesting. And now, also too, you mentioned the 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 nectar flows. You know, you've, so river red gum, uh, yep. the bloodwood, obviously a bit of blue gum. So, so what flows are you sort of chasing? You know, what I mean? and what sort of crops would you generally expect to get per? I don't know, obviously, on those variables there. You know, yeah. uh, on average, well, we'll call it average. On average, in the tropics, you would get somewhere. In, maybe uh, a little bit better than 25 kilos a year per hive. If you have a good year, you'll get 50 kilos uh, out of each of your hives if you're working them properly. Um, we've had exceptional years like 1999 and 2012 where um, the dry areas, particularly around, uh, I'm being specific here, um, out from Mount Carbine, which is, uh, on the inland side of the dividing range, 
uh, and there's uh, a Mallee type uh, eucalypt out there. In 1999, it flowered for about nine months, and you were taking off a box of honey every um, well, three weeks or so. Yeah, okay. But that hasn't. That was only 1999 and 2012, and that's it. it it's 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 <laughs> pretty rare. A lot of the um, drier areas are your best producers up in this country. Yeah. On the coast, you um, you get too much rain, and the bees can't get out. And uh, forage, and even if they do, the um, the flowers aren't open or have no nectar in them because there's no sunlight to draw the nectar up from the roots of the um, uh, trees. Okay. Um, let alone let alone it being washed out. There's just no sunlight to draw that nectar up. So your tea tree is very variable. There's some flowering on the uh, on the uh, uh, range at the moment um, because there's been quite a bit of rain lately. Um, but uh, I can't give you specific times offhand. But at one stage, uh, you could see the tea tree start to flower in the um, in the rivers, creeks, and uh, gullies uh, west of uh, Coranda, and then for the next six weeks, it'd slowly go downstream until it uh, finally opened up in the Gulf of Carpentaria. Okay. But um, it's been very intermittent over the years and uh, over, over recent years, and it's just not uh, doing that that flow like it used to down along the rivers. Interesting. And and so, Murray, so now when you say tea tree, so we're talking, is that that Malaluka paperbark tea tree? Yeah, paperbark, yeah. Okay, interesting. Okay, And what sort of yields do you get from that? Like, is it is it a good sort of honey? Because it's sort of it's because no, the, because yeah. it's only in there. It's like a lot of tropical stuff. It's only in there for two or three weeks. Okay. So uh, if you if you bring your hives in quickly and get them on there, you can um, probably get uh, half a box to a box. But uh, it doesn't last long enough to uh, to get uh, a big a big flow out of it. Okay. Interesting. Okay. And it's got a bit of pollen on it as well because it yields. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting with the tea trees where down south, where you know, we generally call tea trees, you know, the one that's got that little daisy, I think it's got five little petals, but it's a little bit like, um, mm. is it a cantaloupe and rock melon? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, obviously down south we call them cantaloupes, and I think up uh, up in Queensland they call them rock melons. It's, yeah, yeah, up here it's rock, rock melon, yeah. It's interesting, different uh, different names and things. Um, yep. Now, it's interesting because I was just up in Noosa, uh, last week over Easter, just for a couple of days, and uh, saw some friends and family up there because I used to live up there. And it was actually interesting. I was looking, because as a beekeeper, when you're driving around, you're never looking at the road. You're always looking up at the trees. Yeah, and, I and, know. and it was interesting seeing those paper, those um, tea trees. You know, they got that paper bark. So, and I always wondered, you know, um, you know, different big flows because they're a bit, as you mentioned, a bit sort of uh, a bit spotty. Well, down around, that Bris- down around that Brisbane area, up through... Um Right up through Bundaberg, um, probably as far as Rockhampton. Um, but in that southeast Queensland area, they, uh, the, the queen breeders and uh, beekeepers all shift their hives onto the coast for that winter tea tree flowering. Oh, okay. And they build up really well, and it's a long flowering. It's not like up here in a couple of weeks. It'll flower for several months down there. Ah. And the hives will build up incredibly well, and uh, uh, really gives them a, a good um, um, setup for when they're breeding their queens. 
Interesting. Okay, that's uh, interesting, Murray. Now, so let's look at um, where you started as, you know, you had quite a lot of hives. Um, you know, you're, you're, you're full-time, full-time beekeeper when you're running quite a few hundred hives? Yeah, so, 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 so when, did, when did you start doing that, Murray? Well, I um, started out in cans and uh, would block up on tablelands because I'd keep in cans. And um, when I had hives up there, uh, all the farmers came along and said, look, we need some bees for pollination. And nobody else was really doing any pollination at that stage, so I just developed numbers up uh, to handle the pollination on the uh, avocados, the mangoes, the lychees, the uh, pumpkins and all that, which are, which are the uh, water flowering uh, crops up in this country. And uh, it just uh, got to a stage where I had hundreds of hives out and about. Um, and then I had the problem, what am I going to do with the honey? So I started doing marketing, we're doing the markets and clicked an awful lot through the markets and then uh, people would approach me at the markets and say, look, uh, can you supply us in such and such a, um, a supermarket or um, um, distributor or, um, you know, the, the um, people that, uh, that uh, wanted bulk honey for various purposes and it just uh, got bigger and bigger and bigger. There you go. So, and bigger, and now you're sort of, um, sort of winding back about, a little bit, Murray? About five years ago, I sold, six years ago, I sold the, uh, the business um, bottling and um, um, selling the honey, yep. and um, kept a couple of hundred hives, and now I've uh, reduced down and probably on about 50, 60 hives at the moment. Um, and I uh, just have a few outlets and uh, just play with it. Um, and and and, and Murray, when when you had all those. Um, all those hives when you deal was it you're just running them yourself? Yes, yeah, just, just running them. Yes, yeah. But uh, when I when I uh, started uh, setting up outlets, I found I couldn't produce them. Sorry, you just, ended just, up uh, just fading out there a little bit, Murray. Sorry, you just dropped out there yep. a little bit. Yeah, that's better. Now, when I started when I uh, uh, started distributing honey. I found I couldn't produce enough from my hives because of the amount that you'd produce up in this country. So I ended up uh, got a block down outside Wamaran and uh, outside of Brisbane. Yep. And um, I shifted a whole lot of hives down there and uh, uh, pollinated the uh, strawberries and the mangoes and uh, lychees down in that country. And I'd go down every month or so and pick up the honey and bring it back to Cairns and uh, distribute that to my um, customers. In those days, I had a heck of a lot of demand for honeycomb. Okay. Um, that, that's a really uh, good area to get into. And I had it at the airport. I had it in all the uh, supermarkets and um, all the tourist shops around Cairns. Uh, and I used to uh, supply it out to uh, distributors in Brisbane when I had the hives in Brisbane as well. Um Distributors that worked out at the uh, Brisbane markets and um, supplied uh, restaurants and hotels and all that sort of stuff. It's a good market to get into. Okay. You've just got to make sure you have perfect product. Yes. Yep. Yeah, that's um, um, which is true. about one in one in four or one in five of your frames, no matter how good you are. 
Yes, <laughs> that's true. That's a that's a good good way of uh, looking at. It. And 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 what about obviously moving bees? How are you moving your bees around, Murray? Um, I've got I've always had a little ute. I'd had a truck at one stage, but um, in the country, in the tablelands, in the Mariba area of things, there was always problems with getting bogged. Yes, yeah. After a shower of rain, so ended up I just went back to utes and. Um, I've got uh, little hoists on the back to uh, lift hives, particularly when they fall over. And um, I, um, I, have an, I have an extracting plant, a big extracting plant in cans. Now I've just got a small one down there. But um, yeah, I used to just uh, spend a lot of time on the road going out to my hives, taking out the honey, taking them back to cans, extracting, packaging, distributing. And uh, yeah, bad. I had one guy uh, helping me. Um, um, he worked for me just about the whole time I was uh, I was in business in Cairns, and he's still working for the fellow who worked me out. Um, came along to me one day when I was setting up, and he said, "I'm going to come and work for you." <laughs> like I had a, didn't have a great deal of say in it, the way he put it. <laughs> and it was a, it was a good uh, it was a good system. He did, he did everything. He painted boxes and um, packaged honey and. Uh, yeah, he's brilliant. That's, that's and he's still going. He's he's way over eighty now. That's that's awesome. That's fan, absolutely fantastic. And and now what you know now, if you you could go back, you know, ten or twenty years, Murray, what would you do different? Well, um, the main thing would be to get rid of this um, Asian honeybee that we have in the uh, Cairns region. Okay, I uh, tried to get it um, get rid of it. Uh, and I put a lot of pressure on different people to uh, get rid of it, but I wasn't uh, I wasn't forceful enough. And now seeing the devastation that it's caused up here with uh, um, bees, it's uh, it's one thing I wished I'd spent more time on eradicating. Okay. Um, I was about to found it in the first place. Uh, they, um, it was found in the mast of a boat. They rang. Uh, the government, the government wasn't interested. They said uh, that sounds like your problem. So I went out and had a look at it, and saw it was an Apis serrana. Yep. And um, it's just been bad news ever since. So when, when, when you say bad news, in what way? Sort of tell us why it's bad news. Well, it, it uh, will mate with your um, local Apis mellifera. Uh, when the uh, mellifera queens are on the on, out uh, flying, and um, the, uh, the the uh, result of the mating is uh, a, a very poor laying pattern from the queen because um, the cross genetics don't work. They're, they're unviable. Okay. And um, if if you try and breed queens on the coast in uh, the Cairns region and Townsville too because they've got Apis serrana down there as well, then they're a failure. They're, 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 they're not going to be successful which means we've got to get all the queens in from elsewhere. And I set up to do quite a bit of queen rearing, and I was training, teaching, showing people how to do it. And uh, it just turned out to be a waste of time with Serana because it just um, um, ruined any um, any good queens you had. The, they, the queens would not lay sufficient pure mellifera eggs to uh, to be successful. Wow, that's interesting. Okay, that's there you go. And do they do any anything else other than just sort of creating issues with the when the, when the Savannah drones mate with the um, queens? Yeah, well, 
Sorry, Mario, we just lost you there for a sec. Reservoir for the uh, pests and diseases that might come in from Asia, yes, which yeah. are used to Serrana and will uh, attach themselves to Serrana immediately and then possibly cross over to Mellifera afterwards. Wow, okay. So, um, we're extremely worried about Varroa. Yeah, yeah. Um, so far, all the uh, incursions have been. Um, um, Yes, yeah. Yeah, sorry, Murray, just just uh, losing you a little bit there. Yeah, we've been getting uh, I think, sorry, Murray, I think it got, I think it's been a bit of rain on your phone there. It's been a bit of moisture on your I'll phone. Just, I'll just move a little bit to see if it changes. It, it's um, it's an uh, area here. It's just after three o'clock, isn't it? Yeah, all that's right. Will, um, all the kids will be on the internet. So that's, uh, that's, uh, they're all come home watching. Well, that's uh, well. We'll what we'll do is we'll, um, Rory. That was absolutely fantastic uh, chat. We'll wrap it up. Uh, we'll let, we'll let the kids play their uh, their games on using Wi-Fi and using the, the internet. But Mario, I just want to say thank you. So really interesting. That was I uh, really appreciate your chat. So uh, so thank you so much for your time. Uh, you take care. Any questions, um, text me or uh, contact me and um, um, we can do another chat or uh, I can answer to you. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah, no, we'd, we'd really like that. That'd be that'd be good. So, uh, no, really appreciate your time. Thanks, Murray. You take care. Thank you. Thank take, you. Take care. Bye. How, how interesting is that? That was absolutely amazing talking to, to Murray about the um, – about the bees and and here in uh, obviously tropics wet season dry season and all that rain and cane toads you know, cane toads just knocking the hives and I thought that was interesting with the African small hive beetles that's something good to uh, to hear the way putting that light underneath was awesome to hear so that was um, fantastic thank you Murray so much for your for your time and uh, don't forget um, I had a couple of people sort of messaged me to say I want to hear someone you know, keeping bees in the tropics so um, if you want to hear someone let me know uh, shoot me for a text message oh four three seven oh triple seven nine two and uh really appreciate your time listening to this podcast and don't forget take care of yourself take care of each other and take care of those bees um until next time bye for now